You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. Welcome to another edition of Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, where it is hosted by yours truly, the Pimpcron, and I am joined by a bevy of different guests each segment, and we discuss things that aim to ignite the flame of hobby inside all of you, and occasionally we, uh, you know, poop on uh, whack players, and we sing the highest praises of the casual and fluff players. But really, everyone's welcome here. So what do we have tonight, you say? I just heard you say it. Don't act like you didn't. Well, this, of course, is episode 25, which uh, we're getting dangerously close to our six-month episode, which is next week. And we have a Get Brutal with the Pimp Cron where we discuss my plans for the fourth, uh, or version four, I don't really like to say fourth edition, but version four of Get Brutal with the Pimp Cron, where we've got a couple key changes that will help improve the game's customization and flexibility, but all the main rules are still the same. We do have a mysterious third wound chart, though. Ooh. And we have a real talk with the Pimpcron dealing with realistic rules with me and Just James. We also talk about, well, here's an idea. Redemptor Dreadnoughts are a bitch to assemble. And that is also with Just James. And finally, who's this? Oh, well, we also have one that or not with the Loon Shrine. That's me and good old Just James. Finally, we have the, I mean, this isn't in order. I never do this in order. I don't know why I don't. I, I really should. But this is the Tesseract mailbox, and I swear this is the last time we're going to mention Tomb Kings. I get a letter, and they found a really good explanation of why Tomb Kings were not popular on the tabletop, and I uh, go over that. So hopefully you're as jazzed about this episode as I am, and I enjoy that you come back each week to listen. And that is about it. Um, you know what? I do have, you know, people ask me, you know, personal life stuff, blah, blah, blah. So I do have one short thing to say. I just got back today from going to Burke's Winter Blast uh, 2019, which is held by the Burke's Game Wargaming Club. And uh, Mike Biancone, which is a uh, good friend of mine. I've met him through Shorehammer. He comes to Shorehammer each year. And he holds Winter Blast and Spring Assault up uh, near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And Just James and I teamed up in his 40K tournament. We had a blast. It's an all-day affair, three rounds and all that. And it's for um, a Children's Cancer Foundation. It's all for charity, which is really cool. The Four Diamonds Cancer um, uh, Organization. And... My friend Josh went up with us, too. We spent the weekend and hung out. It's cool. We got to see our friend Brandon and uh, and company, uh, Joey and Brandon and all of them. And uh, we also got to see our cool uh, Basement Wargamer buddies. So it's it's nice to, you know, because of Shorehammer, we've got to meet people that were are live within a you know two or three hour radius. And it's cool. It's cool to see a bunch of friendly faces. You go to different events and things like that. And, you know, they come over to Shorehammer and we go over to their stuff. And it's, it's just really cool. So, um... Keep an eye out, though, for Burke's Winter Blast for 2020, because it's always in the end of January. So uh, you just did miss it if you're just hearing about this, but keep an eye out for it, because it's a lot of fun. But you know what? Just James and I, uh, we are not serious tournament people, and uh, (laughs) we just went there to have fun. So we know there's no chance of us winning, uh, because we don't bring, like, super tooled up lists 
And it's funny because um, our lists were due, and I was the, like the night they were due because I didn't realize, you know, when they were due. And I'm a terrible person, so I text James and I'm like, "Hey, just James, send me your list, and I'm gonna mail it to Mike Biancone." He goes, "Okay." So I get online and or I get on Battlescribe, and uh, I'm, you know, within like I don't know four minutes, I make a list and send it to Mike, and James sends me his list, whatever. So we get talking. I'm like. So, uh, what's in your list? And he's like, uh, I don't remember. I'm like, what do you mean you don't remember what's in your list? And he's like, well, uh, I kind of just threw it together and sent it to you. And I'm like, oh, well, I threw mine, my list together too. And we're supposed to be a tag team. You know, we're supposed to be a partnership. And, uh, he's like, oh, well, what's in your list? And I go, oh, well, I got, um, I, I don't remember what's in my list. So we make two really good peas in a pod, just James and I, because uh, both of us just literally threw a list together and uh, <laughs> and neither one of us even remembered what was in it. So, um, but the cool thing was, is we actually ended up 17th place out of 50 teams. That is the top 34 percentile. And I am fucking thrilled with that standing 17th place out of 50 and that is literally with two guys that took five minutes and threw together a list uh we got lucky with some things and uh luckily we were never like top tier tables so we didn't have to fight like the oh i brought eight you know imperial knights cool that's fun uh luckily i never had to fight any super heavies because we really were not ready for that uh, I brought my Necrons, and Pimpcron was representing on the table. Just James happened to bring uh, a unit of Primaris Raven Guard, or that was his army, and we had a lot of fun. So everybody always says, hey, Pimpcron, what you doing in your private time? We need to know this stuff. And I go, well, finally have something to talk about. So, all right, well, that's enough jibber-jabber. Let's get on with the show, people. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, boys and girls, on this edition of the Tesseract Mailbox, we have a message that did not come to pimpcron at gmail.com. We did not get a voicemail, and we did not get it on facebook.com slash pimpcron, which are the usual channels. I'm not exactly certain why this was sent to shorehammer at gmail.com, but that's um, not a suggested method, but it's still a method, I suppose, to get a hold of me. That email is usually reserved for shorehammer uh, contact, but... Anyway, here is the message. Hi, Pimpcron. As a follow-up to your Tomb Kings episode, I wanted to point out to... Uh, point out... I can't read this. I wanted to point you to a really well-written explanation of what was wrong with Tomb Kings. It's quite lengthy, so reading the post aloud might be too much, but I thought you'd be interested. Tim from Maryland. So, uh, thank you for writing in, Tim. And he uh, includes a link for um, a Reddit post. So, if you're interested in reading the entire thing, it is quite lengthy. Um, it's entitled uh, something to the nature of why Tomb Kings, uh, why Tomb Kings were unpopular on the tabletop, and it is from one year ago on Reddit. It's actually under um, Warhammer um, Total War on that subreddit, Total War, but um, it's dealing with obviously the tabletop and not the game. So. I kind of condensed it down to uh, exactly what this person thought. He played Tomb Kings, and um, this is not the entirety of it, but I figured I'd take out some good points of it. 
And I did not play very much of 8th edition at all for Warhammer Fantasy, so I always loved Tomb Kings. I never played them back then, so I was not entirely sure how, you know, what exactly their issue was. I was told several times by several different people that it's one of the hardest armies to play. And I don't know, like, it's basically how I consider Dark Eldar, or uh, Drakari, now which is, um, you know, glass cannon, um, but do a lot of damage, etc., etc., but they're hard to play. So, without further ado, here is my very, very truncated uh, excerpt from this person's post. When the Tomb Kings came out as a separate faction in 2002, they had a pretty well-written army book. It had some cool, unique mechanics with their incantations. It was, unfortunately, a little on the bland side. The first book's unit count is small. It didn't have the Necrotech, Tomb Guard with halberds, Ushabti with bows or dual weapons, War Sphinx, Sepulchral Stalkers, Necrosphinx, Necropolis Knights, Colossus with bow, or the Hero Titan. So roughly half of the roster, including most of what are now easily the coolest looking models, didn't exist in their first incarnation. They were still a cool army at their initial introduction, though, and I knew several Tomb King players. However, as time went on, they didn't get an update, and their models started to look a little dated, and the other army's power creep started leaving them in the dust. Tomb Kings had quite possibly the least random army in the game at the time. They could never miscast. That appealed to a more straightforward player. So between the blandness of the models and substantial power creep for 7th edition, they were not a popular army. Then came 8th edition, and Tomb Kings were one of the first to get an update. The models released with this update were great. Everything listed above came out, and in my community, there were a lot of excitement over their release. Unfortunately, when they hit the tabletop, they were supremely disappointed. It was odd. So many things were so close to being awesome, but they just failed to ultimately realize their potential. Almost every unit had something glaringly wrong with it. To start with, they couldn't march. So many cool units had major flaws. In short, playing them in 8th edition wasn't fun. Though they got cool new models, they lost a lot of what made them fun to play in the previous edition, such as long magical charges, effective tunneling, reliable non-explody magic, etc. <clears throat> they were weak, which didn't help, but more than that, they were just frustrating. I've played with weak armies before, I just couldn't get them to do what I wanted to do, and things just couldn't really perform the way it seemed they were intended. A giant stone monster getting wrecked by low-strength troops just felt wrong. They did have some competitive builds, but they were largely around points denial and unfun to play with or against. People sold off their armies for cheap and obviously killing new sales. The new players tried their discounted armies and were similarly disappointed, and in my area, soon we were down to just one Tomb Kings player after at least eight people gave them a serious try. By far the highest failure rate of starting an army to quit, highest failure rate of starting an army to quitting I've seen, and that original poster was, I don't know. How do I even read things on Reddit? I don't know. I don't know who. <laughs> I don't know who wrote this, but uh, anyway, you can Google it and find out. So uh. I found that to be pretty interesting. I won't um, j yabber on you know too much more about this, but um, just somebody replied about the Tomb Kings episode we had done, and I was wondering why on earth would they get rid of such an awesome um, army, being that I have just started Tomb Kings for Age of Sigmar. 
So, uh, being that I didn't play an 8th edition, I really was not fully aware of exactly how they played on the tabletop, and this seems to be a pretty accurate, pretty unbiased opinion of it. So if anybody else has any uh, points that they would like to make, I'm uh, definitely open to hearing them. I may or may not cover this back on the episode, a future episode of the Pimcron Warhammer podcast, because I don't want to just keep beating a dead skeletal horse. Did you hear that? That was a pun. Like, beating a... Well, you probably didn't get it. So it was it was it was a real cerebral joke. So, you know, like beating a dead horse is a phrase and they have skeletal horses which are already dead. So it's like beating a you know what? Never mind. I just some of my stuff is too cerebral. This is the Tesseract mailbox. Want that or want that not? Hey y'all, it's Want That or Want That Not with Just Cron and Pimp James. What, 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 what? <laughs> Pimp Cron and Just James. So today we are covering the, uh, what is it called? Bad Moon Loon Shrine. Bad Moon Loon Shrine. Hmm. That's an interesting, it's kind of a tongue twister, but uh, what are your first impressions of it, Mr. Just James? It's really pointy. It is very pointy. It's not something you want to stand on or step on. No. Uh, also, it's pretty large. Yeah. So the one thing that really struck me is freaking sixty dollars for this. Sixty dollars. That's pretty expensive for a train piece. Yeah. Um, it is big and it's pretty. Yeah. Um, I really like that they're adding the whole mushroom motif to everything for the Groths because I mean that's unique. I mean other armies don't have anything like that. So. Um, but uh, so. Other than being pointy, what else strikes you about it? Um, it's uh, sharp. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's very good at descriptors, isn't he? It's got a moon face on it. Man, you're bad. You're bad at this. It's got two of them, two moons. Uh, there's mushrooms on it. Uh, rocks. It's got a big old hole. And this is the last time Just James is ever going to be on... No, I'm kidding. Um, so, I was wondering, so the, the rules for it are that uh, Grotz within 12 inches, I think it was 12 inches, don't take Battle Shock. Holy within. Holy within 12 inches, don't take Battle Shock, which could be pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I have not seen the points for this, though. We see that it's $60, but I haven't seen the points for it. It's a turning feature, so usually... You get one for free. One for free. And then whatever else. But um, uh, So also, whenever a unit of, of Stabas or Shootas, whatever they're called, yeah, um, whenever certain units of Grotz die, they can come back at half strength through this hole at no points cost, it said. Yeah. So that's kind of cool. At first I was like, how on earth is this generating more Grotz? But then I realized that it's actually a cave. It's got a big old hole. Yeah, it's got a big old... That moon's got a hole. So, uh... Anyway, I think it's pretty interesting. I am definitely not sure about that sixty dollars though. That's that's pretty expensive. Yeah, um, we haven't really seen it in relation to another model, so don't really know how big it is. Um, I do remember seeing it online. Um, unfortunately, the Games Workshop site has no pictures of it in relation to other models, but uh, it's pretty large compared to a Grot, which I guess is not saying a whole lot. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you know, the Grots could easily fit in that hole, so it's a it's a moderately large train piece it's bigger than the feculent normal and and all that yeah so i mean but 60 bucks dude i don't know and they're trying to they're trying to um 
advertise it like, oh, you could decorate your board with several of them. And I'm like, yeah, I bet you'd like that at $60. Yeah. I'm paying your retirement. <laughs> so, um, hey, my kids just got into college. I need you to buy several of these things. <laughs> uh, so overall, um, I am probably not going to jump on the Grot bandwagon, but I do like it. I don't like it for $60, honestly. And before you say your part, uh, I am a want that not. And the only reason why is if it was even, even $50, or $45, something like that, between $30 and $45, $50 would be pushing it, I'd probably get it for $50. 60 bucks to me just seems too much. Yeah, that I agree. 60 bucks is too much. So, are you a want that or want that not? I would have to say I want that not. That's kind of sad, because it's a really cool looking terrain piece. But, I guess we're just being cheap, but it, it just seems like it's over overpriced. I mean... You know, making them uh, pass Battleshock tests, you know, within 12 inches, that's pretty awesome for Grotz with their Bravery 6 or 5 or whatever it is. But 60 bucks is not worth it. Yeah. Also, I don't play that army, so it really is a want that not for me. Well, I don't either, but, you know, I mean, I like the look of it, not for 60 bucks. So that's two thumbs down from Just James and Loremaster Pimpcron. Now, here's an idea. Hey guys, it's the Pimpcron, and today I have Mr. Just James with me. Hello, Mr. Just James. Hello. Um, you seem cautious and, and and worried. Well, I was trying to think of something funny to do, but I couldn't think of it at the time. Oh, okay. Maybe next time. There's always next time. So, I had you uh, come in today because I had a absolute nightmare. It nearly ruined my marriage, and I was trying to put together the damn Redemptor Dreadnought for primaris Uh uh-huh and have you put one together yeah i put two together how did you survive (laughs) because i'm not lying to you i hate it uh yeah the well the first one went all right but the second one uh it's together but it's silly looking it looks like it's falling over oh that's easy to do yeah i actually did the same thing i had to snap apart one of its hips and and redo it yeah Um, because it's easy to make it want to make like a falling back like it slipped on a banana isn't that what yours looks like yes yeah and um, same thing with the Morkonaut. It's easy to make the... If you're trying to make it look like it's walking, it's very easy to make it look like it's going, whoa, like it's going to fall back. Also, the Wraith Knight. The Wraith Knight I could have made look like it was doing the Charleston or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, this thing was an absolute nightmare to build. And not because things didn't fit or, you know, like with the um, the drop pod for Space Marines, you know, uh, a, lot, a lot of the pieces don't feel like they fit. Or like the Monolith. Have you ever built a Monolith for Necrons? No. That also, they're huge, big panes of, of plastic, uh-huh. and uh, a lot of times they like kind of warp a little, and they just don't glue together, and all the edges for the um, monolith are real like small areas to glue. Yeah. So the whole thing is just a piece of shit. Like, it's, it's a pain. But the Redemptor is a little different, because the Redemptor, actually, everything went together fine. It was just fucking a hundred, it was a, well, uh, I've kind of given it away now. I was going to say, I should have had you guess how many pieces this freaking Redemptor uh, Dreadnought is. A hundred? A hundred and four pieces. A hundred and four, yeah. For this this stupid model. Yeah, it doesn't need to be that. It does not. And there's all these things like, there's all these instances where there's like two sets of hoses that are right next to each other, and both of those hoses are separate pieces. Yeah. Like, why don't you just put make them one piece? Yeah. And do you ever get the feeling like, 
they're intentionally making it complicated to make it a model kit? I think we've covered this somewhere else, but I uh, I feel like they put in the little odds and ends here and there to fill out their sprue. Oh. Oh, that might be it, yeah. Because um, the uh, Adeptus Custodes, their shields, they have a little hole for this little ball to go into, and they make that a separate a separate <laughs> uh, sprue part. Uh, I wonder if... Uh, well, you know what? Their boxes are a standard size, right, for most of their boxes. And the sprues are the right size to fit the box. Yeah. I'm wondering if exactly what you're saying is true, where they know they have to fill this much space. Yeah. So then they're like, well, we can't leave a quarter of the sprue empty because we're... So they're, they're going to fill it with stupid shit. Yeah. So this Redemptor was absolutely ridiculous. But anyway, so this was, this was a real pain in the ass. To the point where I actually felt like... Uh, while I'm in the middle of building this Redemptor, I actually looked online and was like, don't they have an easy build version of this? Yeah. And they do. And I'm like, you know, I actually debated contacting anybody that might have an easy build Redemptor and just going, I'll give you this real Redemptor that I paid 15 more dollars for if you just give me the, the easy build. Don't tell uh, me you have an easy build. No, no, I don't have an easy oh. build, but I don't, it's not. I think the Redemptor is like 80 uh, no, I'm, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure online the Redemptor's 65 and the Easy Build's 40. Hmm. I'm pretty sure. Unless I'm just misremembering. But, um, it was like 60-something and 40. Maybe it was 60. And so, I'm thinking of the Repulsor as 80. Oh, yeah, well, probably. Yeah. Now, that was another thing yeah, that, that was really irritating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. so, yeah. Uh, anyway, so it was just, I just feel like they... they they should make an easy build for every single model because you probably know we've discussed this before that I don't like assembling models. I feel like it's a waste of my time. I don't like doing it. Painting is kind of one thing because you know, you can make it look better and whatever. Yeah. But assembling, like I would much rather just get someone else to assemble it or just make it easy build. Cause now it's different if you're trying to customize a model and make like some custom pose or something like that. Uh -huh. That's nice to have a full kit, but Come on, guys. Like, Redemptor does not need to be that complicated. No, there's not. There's really no customizing the Redemptor. No. Because it's only got a few, uh, um, a limited amount of options. True. And, um, what, only four four pivot points. Yeah. I mean, each shoulder and each hip, so you can't even pivot the knees. No. So, I'm like, why are you making this? They could have literally made each leg just one piece. Or, okay, two pieces, two halves. And then a plate or whatever. I mean, yeah. you easily could have made that model 50 pieces, not 104. So. Yep. Um, yeah. And, uh, well, the thing with the easy to build, it's only one uh, main gun option. It's the macro uh, plasma incinerator. No, actually, it's the other one. Because I looked it up. Oh, the heavy onslaught Gatling. The heavy cannon. onslaught Gatling cannon is the is the only option they have for the easy build. Oh, okay. Well, then the uh, I think it's the mini gun on the left arm is the flamer. Yes. Yeah. Which is kind of a weird choice because, I mean, at least in my opinion, if I'm going to go with the heavy onslaught Gatling, then I'm also just going to take the other Gatling. Right. Because it's the same stats. I mean, shorter range, but same stats and and all that. Yeah. But um, yeah, I thought that was weird. It comes with the flamer and the heavy onslaught, but. Anyway, so really, I have one more to build, one more Redemptor. And I'm like, dude, I would have been much, much happier just having the easy build one. 
Now, it does look a little worse. Like, the, um, I was looking at the poses, and I, I feel like they do this intentionally, because the, the real model kit, you'll notice the Redemptor looks, like, broader and beefier. His arms are, like, out a little farther. Yeah. Like, he's flexing. And um, the easy build one is more like the old Dreadnoughts, where his elbows are close to his ribs, uh, yeah. and it's, like, straight up and down. It's kind of nerdy looking. Um, but anyway, so I just... I was highly irritated. I was cussing the entire time, and my wife was laughing at me because I had to keep actually taking breaks. I'd assemble some stuff for, like, I'm not lying to you. Maybe I'm just stupid. It took me at least two hours to build that stupid Redemptor. Now, I did take some breaks because I was getting really irritated. But I'm like, you know, everything fit together fine. It's just so many parts for yeah. no reason. Uh, yeah, there's also this little... Uh, uh... I don't know, pistons or whatever, where their leg... In the groin? In the, uh, yeah. I didn't put those in. The, the, well, my first one I did, but they didn't. They don't go inside the legs. So they're, like, hanging out. Uh, and then the second one, I just did not put them in at all. Yeah, I did the same exact thing because I was getting so frustrated. So, um, uh, there's, I feel like there's something else I skipped, too, just because, like, who cares? But uh, I had some extra bits left, and I forget what it was for. But, uh... Anyway, so I just wanted to share the fact that I freaking hate the Redemptor. Do not look forward to putting another one together because they just have way too many damn parts. Yeah, that's one of those things like the drop pod uh, or anything else that's uh, hard to build. It's just go on and find someone else that's already pre-built it. Buy it second And buy it, buy it from them, yeah. Yeah. Um, and like I said, I was almost willing to just take a loss because, you know, you, I paid more for the real kit versus the easy build. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I'd rather just trade the real kit away to, for the easy build. Yeah. And now that I've assembled one that was the real kit, I did it with the plasma cannon. So if I were to get an easy build one, I'd be happy with the the, Gat, the Gatlin cannon, whatever. Yeah. Actually, what you could do is if you had if you had the repulsor and you got the easy build and you didn't put the uh, onslaught Gatlin cannon on the repulsor, you could just put that... Cut off oh. that flamer and just put that uh, onslaught Gatling cannon onto the uh, Redemptor Dreadnought. That's true. You mean on the easy build one instead yeah. of flamer? Yeah. Um, so anyway, this is just me bitching, but I, I was just highly irritated. So, all right. Well, um, do you have anything else to add besides me whining and crying over this first world problem? Uh, no, no, I don't. <laughs> okay. Now it's time for real talk with Pentcron. In today's edition of, uh, what's the segment called? Real Talk with the Pimcron. Uh, I'm, I'm joined by just James. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> and, uh, we wanted to discuss possible realistic rules for 40k to make things more realistic. Now, that may sound kind of stupid in a game full of undying robots and space elves and whatnot. But realism could be added to this game, and we will also start this conversation with a caveat that obviously things have been streamlined in this edition, and that's the reason why things are not super realistic. Yeah. But let's just see some things that we think if we were to make, if you were going to bring this game back to, you know, first edition, or, well, Rogue Trader, or second edition, they had tons of modifiers for things, and things were arguably much more realistic. So, why don't you kick it off with your first 
uh, suggestion for what would be more realistic. Uh, well, actually, I want to add something besides that. Um, I think it should go back to 7th edition in the terms of removing models from the front. I'm, I'm sorry, I can't hear you from all the booing. What was that? <laughs> I said, I think it should go back to 7th edition. <laughs> okay. Uh, from removing models from, you know, the front, and then only being uh, taken off the models that are visible to the uh, uh, fire. The... That does make a lot more sense. Yeah, that would be more realistic. Yeah. Um, now, of course, both of us started in 5th edition. Yes. And 5th edition, you chose where the models came from. Yes. And then in 6th and 7th, they changed it to closest, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And in 5th edition, when I first started, and I was like, well, you know, I was asking questions, and I was like, uh, well, then why wouldn't the other army take out the missile launcher or whatever, you know, in the squad? And the way it was explained to me at the time, and kind of makes sense if you want it to make sense, would be that, oh, they might have killed the missile launcher guy, but then somebody else picked up the missile launcher. Yeah. You know? Because they're all, they should be, like, combi-trained, you know, in all oh, the different... Oh, yeah, yeah. But I agree with you. That uh, you should only be able to kill what you can see. Yeah, and and the front row and the front row because that also <laughs> helps with the charges and stuff. Yeah, there's a certain level of complexity to that. Um, I think one thing that's kind of interesting is that your ballistic skill pretty much never changes. Like if you're a space marine, you've got a two thirds chance to hit something whether the end of my plasma rifle is literally touching your tank yeah. or if it's six feet from the tank. Yes. Board ways. Yeah. Realistic. You know what I'm talking about. The length of the board. The whole length of the board is what I mean. Not six inches for the models, but I mean six... I'm messing this up. Not <laughs> six feet away as per model scale, but six feet away as per realistic scale. And... um you know, don't you feel like you should get some sort of benefit for being, like, at half range? Yeah. Or, or just closer, like, if you were three inches away or something. Right, yeah. It's extremely hard to miss at that closeness. Yeah. Um, and speaking of, like, pistols in close combat, it's it almost, now I'm sure this would be, you know, we have to ignore game balance and all that. We're strictly talking about being realistic here, but feels like pistols should just auto-hit. I mean, you're in a big melee with a bunch of people. You almost can't miss the enemy. Right. You just shoot. I mean, it's it should just, like, oh, roll to wound. Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, maybe you hit him in a vital organ, or maybe not. Yeah. And um, so it's kind of interesting to me. I, I always kind of felt like we should get some sort of buff, e either a plus one to hit or a reroll or, or rerolling ones or something if they're at short distance. And I also don't like the idea that the ranges for weapons have a maximum range. Because even per the scale of the models, like, the bolt gun should be able to shoot the entire length of the board easily. Yeah. You know what I mean? Real rifles shoot hundreds of yards. I mean, it's... Yeah. And what, what is a whole board for a Space Marine? Probably two football fields, 200 yards? I mean... Yeah, pretty much. BFD. Like, they should be able to shoot anything on the board. Um... Now, this isn't a whine that, oh, Space Marines are bad. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying that um, maybe, you know, outside your printed range, you get a minus one to hit or something, you know, so that you have that option to shoot outside your range. Um, now, pistols, maybe they shouldn't because, you know, a pistol 
trying to shoot something at 200 yards with a pistol, that's <laughs> yeah, that's kind of iffy. Uh, that should be like uh, maybe on sixes or something like that, or yeah. So, what's your next uh, your next idea for realism in this game? I think uh, the saves. Uh, you should be able to get uh, all of your saves. Like, so you get hit, and then you get wounded, and you save. Mm-hmm. But it should be you get hit, then you get your armor save, and then then you would get wounded. Uh huh. And then, uh, for cover, you would maybe get. They would shoot, and then you get your cover save, then you get your armor save, and then you get your wounded. And then you get your invulnerable save. Yeah. <laughs> that way, nothing ever dies. Right. <laughs> but it is true, though, because, you know, taking cover into consideration, and so you're so tough, let's say, that you have an invulnerable of a 5-up, but if you fail your armor save, you suddenly ignore that, and you're not tough anymore with your 5-up involved. Yeah. Because, you know, the word invulnerable means that you're not, can't be hurt on this chance. Yes. It does kind of seem weird that... Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, now, what do you feel about cover being, uh, you know, like a, a minus to hit? Or, like, do you like it the way it is now with the improved save? Um, I think it makes more sense to be a minus to hit. Yeah. Um, because, you know, you're more likely it's more like going to hit the wall or whatever you're hiding behind uh-huh uh then help your armor yeah that's probably true um and so i i agree with you i feel like you should get all your feel no pains your saves and your invulnerables and you should get co- benefits from cover whatever that may be yeah depending on the addition now of course that sounds really really overpowered and probably nothing would ever die but <laughs> you know well, you would have to get in close combat or, you know, find something that would ignore your cover uh, or hit them with something big. True. Um, now, you brought this up a, a couple minutes ago, kind of, but I also feel like the wounding order is wrong, you know, because you roll to hit, which, of course, you should roll to hit, duh, right? Does your weapon hit or not? But now we roll to wound, and then we roll to see if they save it. But their save is usually, like, it's it's arguably, like, you know, their your armor or whatever you're wearing. Well, shouldn't it be a roll to hit, then a roll to save to see if it just bounces off you? Yes. And then whatever doesn't get saved should roll to wound. Yeah. I feel like, now, I'm curious what that would do to the actual game. You know what I mean? Like, saves would... Okay, so when you're talking about the hit, wound, and save uh, trickle-down effect, you know, because obviously, like, better to hits is better than better to wounds. Because better to hits, your hits are the gatekeeper to how many wounds you have. Yes. And the wounds are the gatekeeper to how many saves you get. So, if the saves were the gatekeeper for wounds instead of vice versa... I wonder how that would affect things. So let's just say, just for an argument here, okay? <clears throat> a We're going to do a, uh, a guardsman shoots a space marine with a las gun. Okay? Okay. So fours to hit. Let's just say, for the sake of it, they, they get two hits. Okay? Two hits. Uh, they need a five up to wound. 
So, actually, no, it'd be better for three hits, because it's it's generally in thirds. So, let's just say the Guardsman gets three hits. He's likely only going to wound one time, and then the Space Marine will more than likely save one, if not both wounds, but let's say it's two-thirds chance, so he'll save one, let's say. Okay? Yeah. So the Space Marine will take one wound. But if it was the other way around, then... You get three hits from the last gun into the Space Marine, and then he saves two-thirds of them with a three-up save. Yep. Leaving only one unsaved wound, and then the Guardsman has a five-up to wound him. Yeah. So actually, it would work making things way more durable, at least from weaker strength to better armor. Let's go the other way. Space Marine, let's say he gets three wounds, uh, three hits on a Guardsman. The Guardsman, now right now he wounds two out of three times on the Guardsman, right? Okay. Out, of the, out of the three hits, he wounds twice because of the 66% chance. And then the Guardsman saves um, 33% of the time. So out of the two wounds, he'd save a third of them. So if we want to be generous, we'll say he'd save one. And he'd take one unsaved wound, right? Okay. But now let's flip that in the proposed way. The Space Marine hits a Guardsman three times, then the Guardsman gets to save it on his five up, which would remove one hit, and then the Space Marine gets to wound him on a 66% chance. So, he'll mathematically, he'll definitely wound once, he might wound twice. So, that's interesting, because I think it actually spreads the paradigm even farther. Because the Space Marine became more durable, and the Guardsman actually became less durable. Yeah. Because we were saying that, you know, um, maybe one wound on the Guardsman, the, the way it is now, and we're actually talking about two wounds the proposed way. I would like to see, like, a whole chart of, like, what would a LAS cannon do? What would a whatever do? You know what I mean? It would be really neat to see all that math, to see how it would change if... I'm pretty sure that saves, armor saves, would have to be better. Because they are the gatekeeper. So, if you explain it that way, hits are the gatekeeper to wounds, which is the gatekeeper to saves. But if we flipped it around, saves would have to be better as the gatekeeper for wounds. Because you want to let in fewer wounds. Yeah. So you'd have far fewer 5-up saves. You'd probably have more 4-up saves. You know, like... I think the saves in general would be better, but uh, that's I mean there there needs to be more science behind that and more research. But it just seems ma logically that I would roll to save it before you would roll to wound. You know what I mean? Uh -huh. Did my armor bounce it off before you care if I'm toughness five or not? Yeah. Like, seems that way. Of course, also the caveat to this is that toughness in, for these models, toughness is also part of the save. You know what I mean? Like, something could have a 4-up save but be toughness 5. Well, being that the wound roll is the gatekeeper to the save roll, then the fewer saves you have to make because your toughness is high is basically like a save in itself. Does that make any sense? Yes. <laughs> You're just saying yes. <laughs> well. <laughs> Alright, so what's your next topic? Uh, what about flyers, you know, like 
flamers hitting a flyer. That shouldn't happen. Oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. Uh, also, people standing underneath a flyer can cause it to wreck. <laughs> They're, like, waving their hands or Whoa! something like that. You know, and then the flyer, like, oh, and just crashes <laughs> into the ground. Oh, crap, there's people beneath me. I'm so scared that I'm going to crash into them. Yeah, so I will crash into them? Yeah, that's weird. Actually, no, I won't even crash into them. I'll crash right where I am. Yes. I'll nosedive into the ground because I don't want to hit those people. Oh, that's true. Yeah, because, yeah, you're right. Um, now, you know, flyers don't do any flyers blow up anymore? Yeah, they they blow. They Some crash do. and burn. Oh, okay. But they don't hurt anybody on the ground. Yeah, yeah. Oh, they do? Yeah. Oh. We don't play many uh, flyers, obviously. Yeah. Um... Yeah, so, yeah, Flamers shouldn't hit it. Flamers are ridiculous. I cannot, you know what, when that first came out for 8th edition, I thought this is definitely going to get FAQ'd, because this makes no damn sense. Yeah, you would think. And, uh, yeah. They, they should be their own weapon type. You know, you got your assault, you got your heavy, you got your rapid fire, you got pistol. It should have been, like, Flamer or something else to uh, determine the, that type, and then their special rule could be, oh, they can't shoot at flyers. Yeah. That's pretty ridiculous. And like you said, not having... Another thing that we, they should have FAQ'd is what you're saying right now, which is the the whole, oh, I only have one place that I can go. Like, I take my 90-degree turn, I'm getting ready to run out of board edge, and there's people under where my minimum distance is to move. You know, the 20-inch or whatever. Yeah. Just, to, just to fully explain what you're saying. And if there's people under that, and I can't put my model on top of them being a flyer, I just blow up. Yeah. Like, that's stupid. That's dumb. Yeah. What about not being able to go off the board? I mean... Yeah. Yeah, that doesn't make sense uh, either, because, I mean, you have all that airspace. Yeah. And why couldn't you go off the board like you used to be able to in 7th edition? Yeah. Go off the board, come back next turn. What's... Yeah. No, no, they're... Once they're off the board, they're dead. Apparently. They're dead. Um, Because... See, there's a studio audience around the table. Ah. And the minute they see people on the ground, they oh, go, Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. They're, um, how else do you get a laugh tractor in a Warhammer game? I mean, you need the audience. So, <laughs> um, they have to stay on the sound stage yeah. in order to. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah, the Flamers, that's, that's ridiculous. Also, I kind of have an issue with, like, airplanes assaulting other airplanes. Yeah, they would uh, uh, blow up. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what we call mid-air collision. Yeah, uh, I don't understand that one little bit. Obviously, monstrous creature, duh, has yeah. arms and stuff. But a, a jet plane assaulting a jet plane, I don't understand that. No, that doesn't. doesn't it does not make sense. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's they're not actually running into each other. Maybe they're like snapshotting or something like that and snapshotting or something well no taking sorry. pictures of each other snapchatting is what you're thinking yeah they're snapchatting i for some reason i was thinking you're getting sixes in close combat with well actually most of the vehicles are sixes some some are better but uh i think most planes are a six to hit in yeah. close combat so that's what i was thinking not that hell drake <laughs> well yeah i mean he's got it's, hands though but he's He's a, uh, not really a... F he's a jump pack uh, in a flyer uh, battlefield role. Yeah. True. Um, 
So yeah, that that just seems ridiculous to me as well. But uh, let's move on to the next topic. Uh, also, I wanted to add to the flyer thing that uh, people with jump packs or people with the fly keyword can jump up and attack planes. <laughs> uh, you know, they may be able to go up in the air, but I don't think they're fast enough to catch the plane. And also, you know, that's how you die. You jump up in front of a moving plane. Yeah. Yeah. Someone's getting sucked into the turbine. That's what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the only thing they'd hear is, what, what was that? Seagull, <laughs> I guess. Uh, yeah. And like we said before, we know a lot of this is because just to be you know, concise and the game moves and this is just a game, duh, it can't be super serious or, or super uh, uh, complex or it gets boring and long like previous editions have been. But some of it, especially the flamer thing, would be so easy to fix. Yes. Like, it just... Oh, I don't like it. The last thing I really wanted to mention about this, uh, making things more realistic, would be that um, the reserves being... You know, they FAQ'd the reserves to only between the second or third turn, right? Because if it's not on by turn four, the unit's gone. Turn At the end of turn three, it's gone. Yeah, so I mean, by the, the top of turn four, if they're not on there... It's out of the game. Yeah. So you only have turn two and turn three. Yeah. Why can't you organize your army to deep strike on the first turn? Like, you know, the basic rules say you can before the FAQ. Um, I had no issue at all with first turn deep striking. I didn't... No. I mean, it was powerful, sure, but you're nine inches away. I mean, there's a good chance you're not going to make your charge if you're trying to or whatever. I don't. I didn't see it was a big deal. Right. I'm, I'm sure it got abused in areas, but our area didn't abuse it. I didn't have an issue with it. So, And what about not being able to delay your stuff past turn three? Yeah, they should have been able... Any, at any turn, they should have been able to come on like yeah. when you wanted them to. Now, obviously, for gameplay purposes, they don't want you to keep in several one-man units or several tiny, tiny units to you know keep them from being shot all game and then drop them on the objectives the last turn. Like... I'm sure that's why they did that. Yeah. But honestly, I mean, if you're talking about strict realism, they should be able to deep strike between turn one and turn seven, you yeah. know? And if you're going to take your chances, you know, I mean, the basic rules still have random game length, right? Uh, well, it depends on the mission, but most of the time it's random ga so game be length. So between five and seven turns. Well, if you're on turn five and you're playing random game length, then you're making the choice to keep it to turn six and see if it goes to turn six. Yeah. You could screw yourself that way. I don't really see that it's a big deal that um, you you couldn't deep strike on the first turn or the fourth or the fifth. I just don't see it. Not yet, me either. So this has been our discussion of um, trying to make things a little more realistic for um, Warhammer 40K. And do you have anything else to add, Mr. Just James? Nope. I'm just done. Okay, well, um, one last caveat to this is we understand why they do some of this stuff because of game balance, yada yada, and also, I really enjoy 8th edition, and despite flamers hitting fucking airplanes, other than that, I actually really like 8th edition, do you? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so, I mean, we're just trying to come up with ideas to make it more realistic. We obviously know that it needs to be streamlined, etc., etc., and it can't be super, super in-depth, but... Having said that, these are our ideas, and as always, it's a pleasure to talk to you, Mr. Just James, and I guess that's it. Yep.
Let's get brutal. Welcome to Let's Get Brutal with the Pimpcron, the segment of the show where we discuss my free rules, use your own models, RPG light skirmish war game called Brutality Skirmish War Game. And I wanted to discuss tonight some changes that will be in version 4 that is um, going to be coming out soon in the next month or two, version 4 of Brutality. And we are basically in open beta. We have been for a year and a half now to the public. I've been working on this for about three years, roughly now, and um, the this new version four. The reason why it's not a three point something is that version four brings a couple significant changes, enough that I think it's a slightly different game. Um, now, the, of course, the core rules of everything uh, are going to be exactly the same, but there are a couple key additions. Uh, one of them being command tokens. So if your leader is alive, you gain one command token each turn that may be used by the model of your choice. Using a command token allows your chosen model, anyone from your warband, to perform a free action of your choice during its activation. This action may not be performed twice in the same activation by the same model, such as running twice, shooting twice, moving, etc. Command tokens do not carry over from turn to turn, and any used token is lost as soon as your leader dies. So this may not sound like a huge deal, but it is a massive deal to the strategy of this game because that would allow you to, let's say, move and aim and shoot, or you could move up, shoot, and then pray, or you, you know, vice versa, or you could move, run, and charge, anything like that. Um, this, also, this will greatly improve the ability to give the six inch power to models that normally would not take magic, such as melee or whatnot. So you can, it adds a whole nother layer of customization, because let's say you were making Wolverine as a model, and he has healing factor. Well, you would want to give him the six-inch power called healing, so that he gets a chance to heal himself each turn. But you don't really want to take your action doing that, because of course he will probably be a melee model. So he would want to be getting into combat, and not exactly just sitting there regenerating. So once you start going down the rabbit hole of exactly what these command tokens mean, then it not only makes your leader more valuable, it also uh, means that taking the opponent's leader out is more valuable, and it also means that there's more character customization. So that is a huge, huge boon to this new addition. And the other major change is that there is now a third wound chart. So there's piercing and crushing, as there always has been. But ever since the initial iteration of this game, I originally had three wound charts. Burning, crushing, and piercing, crushing, and burning. But I just could not exactly balance burning with piercing and crushing because burning is so different. It's like passive damage. You know, it's not exactly, uh, it's not exactly like that, but... I had a real hard time, let's say I had an enemy, I mean, I had a model that was made of flame. So, you know, I would do damage in close combat or shooting or whatever, and my opponent goes, which wound chart do you choose for your weapon profile? And I go, hmm, do I pierce you with flame or do I crush you with flame? Uh, I guess I'll take piercing because you certainly don't crush someone with flame. And um, that sort of thing, acid burning, uh, radiation, uh, you know, actual flame burning, uh, frostbite, any of those type of things are not really 
crushing or piercing. It's it's there there has to be this third chart. So we are finally adding that third chart, and now my uh, my models with flamers make a lot more sense. You know, uh, flamethrowers. My models, the warband I'm working on that is all flame based. You know, flame sorcerers and flame atronachs and all that. That makes a lot more sense. And um, so essentially, what this is is um, it deals with burning tokens, which is going to be a new mechanic in this game um, on the burning chart. At the start of each activation for this model that has a burning token, the enemy may roll a d10 for each burning token on this model. The, a natural roll of a 1 through 8 removes the token from this model and no more rolls are made. The natural result of a 9 or 10 immediately causes this model to lose 1 hit point and the burning token is not removed. The burning tokens may be removed from this model in the exact same ways that bleeding is staunched. So you have to see the action phase for that. But the interesting thing about this wound chart is 1 through 3 is nothing. Because, like I said, burning is kind of a more passive thing. So if you roll 1 through 3, burning does nothing on this chart. Then there's painful, which is minus 1 dexterity. There's blistered, which is minus 2 movement. Then uh, burning also has agony as the number six ability, which is taken from the piercing chart as well. Then you start getting into the juicy bits. So seven is one burning token. Eight is two burning tokens. Nine is three burning tokens, which is, you know, do a couple wounds with that. You could be arguably taking nine burning tokens. I mean, it's not, not likely, but, and then 10, of course, is still extra damage. But um, this potentially is a huge deal because you can be doing... Uh, damage every turn potentially. Now, it's only a 20% chance that this is going to happen per token. So it's not very good. It's basically like rolling sixes. Um, I believe a six on a d6 is a 17% chance. And uh, this would be a 20% chance. So it's it, it's very, very close to just rolling sixes each turn. And um, I'm very excited about this. And of course, I've got a, a couple of the little rules tweaks. Uh, the missile in the uh, power section is been stripped originally it was you know uh like um focused or it wasn't and you rolled against their dexterity or you rolled against their fighting skill and it did wound chart rolls or it did damage or whatever i have stripped it down and is much more akin to smite in warhammer it's it's not exactly the same but it's similar so you roll a d10 if you cast missile and it if it actually successfully goes off you roll a d10 and apply the following effects against target enemy with no saves allowed. So 1 through 4 is no effect. A 5 through 7 is 1 wound chart roll. 8 through 9 is 1 damage. And a 10 is 1 damage and 1 wound chart roll. So it's not very powerful. And the reason for that is that I don't want powers to outshine ranged, clearly. Now, of course, the powers are only 12 inches in range where, you know, nearly all the ranged weapons are much higher than that, but this missile does ignore saves. So, the cool thing about that is, is that you can, um, you know, use this to target the creatures that have crazy saves, and you could really be uh, doing some damage there. But that, uh, you know, it still doesn't take away from the ranged weapons exactly. And that is basically it. A couple faction traits, different, blah, blah, blah. But those are the those are the three main changes to these. Of course, we're always doing a couple little tweaks here or there with clarification of the rules. 
And other than that, that's pretty much it. So that will be version four of the um, Brutality Skirmish War game, which will be coming out in the next month or so. And uh, we've been playtesting it and things like that. But burning has been so much fun. It's it's not very reliable, but then again, something, you know, burning shouldn't be super reliable because they can put themselves out. Anyway, that's it for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast for tonight. I appreciate you listening, and uh, I will uh, be posting next Monday as always, and I hope you're there listening. Toodles.